Well, it's been quite a while, hasn't it, ladies and gentlemen? Like, theatre's been closing, cinema's closing, and now everything's opening back up, so I thought, why not jump back on the bandwagon and get Series 2 of Reject or Recall back up on its feet? And what better way to do that than being joined by the lovely and talented Terry Cooper. How are you doing today, Terry? Hello, Scott. How's things? Not too bad, mate. I'm absolutely knackered, so I do apologise if it comes across in my voice. I've just come in from work, so... But we got to suffer for our art, haven't we? Hey, you know, I, I take my hat off to anyone who's still working in this current climate. Um, <laughs> I'm always tired because I do this weird sleeping whenever I feel tired and working whenever I want to work. So I have zero sleep pattern whatsoever. It's everywhere. Do you find that with um, being like a creative yourself? It's just like you randomly just start plodding away, doing whatever it is, like writing or whatever. And then it's just like, I should sleep, but I want to get to the end of this chapter or something like that. Yeah, um, a lot of people, you know, will literally just do the whole kind of um all right i should carry on but I, now it's time to sleep so i'll go to sleep and i can't do that you know and i'm sure you know people like that or you're like that yourself guilty while you're awake do it you know because <laughs> there's nothing worse than trying to force yourself to work or do something when your eyes or eyelids are closing so mm. why not do it while you've got the energy or you could just be like freddie mercury when he wrote bohemian rhapsody he apparently had dreams and then just woke up writing random lyrics so I'd love to be able to do that. Uh, only once uh, I dreamt that I saw a movie. Um, uh, it, was, it was in 2008 and I woke up, uh, I was on a, an animation course at the time, which is probably contributing to it. But I, I dreamt that I saw Pixar's new movie in the cinema and I woke up and I remembered the lot. So <laughs> I wrote it all down and I've still got that as, a, as a, the, the bare bones of a, of a really nice animated film. So that's the only time it's ever happened to me. Oh, you've heard it first, people. If um, an animated film comes across by Terry Cooper, you hear it on the Reject or Recall podcast. Yeah, that's how Paul McCartney wrote yesterday, apparently. <laughs> oh, I don't know where it came from. Someone gave it to me. Uh, he came downstairs, right. And he, and he said to John Lennon, Hey, you know, hey John, I wrote <laughs> this then, song. And then he you goes, got Ringo Starr in the corner, narrating for Thomas the Tank Engine. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> John Lennon's like, no, I don't know what that is. <laughs> John Lennon sounds like Lily Savage. <laughs> <laughs> then George Harrison. I'm not even going to attempt to do his um, impersonation. <laughs> did, he, did he even speak? We don't know. No, he, he sung, uh, I got my mind set on you, didn't he? Yeah, that's true. And the only time I ever re recall hearing him speak was when he appeared in The Simpsons. Hello, oh I'm George goodness. Harrison. It's like, oh my God, where did you get that brownie? <laughs> Over there. There's a whole plate of them. <laughs> Fantastic. Right, before we tangent too much, and trust me, there probably will be a lot of geeking out on this, so sorry yep. in advance from my half, but tell us a little bit about you, Terry. Tell us a bit about your experiences within the arts, entertainment, the performance industry. Just tell us a bit about you. All righty. Uh, I'll try and do the Reader's Digest version. Um, I was born in London in the very late 60s, uh, so that instantly makes me <laughs> uh, ancient, um, but... <laughs> I've been living in Wales since 1980, so most of my life in Wales. Um, I've always been an artist and uh, a writer. Um, after leaving school, uh, art was my main thing, and that's how I kind of earned a living. Uh, in a brief period from nine, uh, about 85 to 95, I became a rapper and ended up with a record deal with Warner Brothers. Oh, wow. And my band uh, won our record deal with the BBC Two uh, TV competition. Um, and we supported E17. 
on tour and we had two records in the charts a, a 91 and a 64 which don't sound great but it's better than a lot of bands do on their first two singles i mean um, that's better than what a lot of artists can do today i know and do you know what people have said to me like well uh, are you aren't you gutted you didn't get a number one or anything i'm like well a not many people do get number ones and b if i had got a number one i wouldn't be able to go anywhere nowadays are people going you were that guy who used to have that number one thing how embarrassing that be you know so insert rick you know, astley this... into this joke <laughs> exactly it's like uh knock knock who's there terry cooper terry who that showbiz so <laughs> that's the kind of you know it, it has its uh benefits so um after the uh the, the short-lived uh, rap career, uh, I became, um, I got back into art and uh, I started working for a stop motion company uh, doing stop motion uh, animation. Uh, I wasn't an animator. I used to make the, the models and the spaceships and storyboards and art and anything they'd, they'd let me do. Um, and after that ended, uh, I, I got into writing books and doing voiceover stuff. So that's kind of what I do now. Um, I'm an illustrator full time. Uh, I do voice. I do a lot of voiceover stuff. And then uh, around 2016, I got into the idea of making films. So we made one film called Offworld, which mm -hmm. has spent five years in post-production thanks to the pandemic. Um, <laughs> but it's on its way to the States now to be distributed. Um, and I'm starting work on my second film, which is called Bloody Students. Apologies for the profanity, but there you go. That's what it's called. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's very accurate for a lot of students. Yeah. And also, um, before before we got into the filming, I, I I was mostly known by most people on Facebook, et cetera, as Cardiff Jack Sparrow, because I mm. uh, impersonated Jack Sparrow all around South Wales and, and further afield uh, for 11 years. It started off as a, just a fun thing, and then people started hiring me. And uh, it was good fun, but I had to jack it in, no pun intended, because <laughs> it was... Uh, uh, too much of a good thing becomes a pain, basically. Um, so I'd rather be known for Terry Cooper than Captain Jack Sparrow, Sammy. <laughs> Will Jack Sparrow ever make a return in a public appearance in your capacity? Um, well, do you know what? I had to sell the costume because when I told people I was retiring from it, I was still getting lots of messages from people saying, will you do this? Will you do that? And although, you know, I'm, I'm not unsympathetic to, to some of the... Uh, quite tragic stories I get from hospices and stuff. And I have done some hospice visits and that kind of thing. Hmm. Um, people kept saying to me, oh, you know, well, you know, can you just come out of retirement to do this, do a half an hour down in Bristol? And I'm like, but it's like, it takes me all day to get ready and an hour to get thing. And, and, you know, it's not that I will turn down, but you've got to draw the line at some point. If you've retired, you've retired. Yeah. Um, but I did say that if, if, my, my film raises uh, enough budget to get going. I will pick up uh, the um, a replacement Jack Sparrow costume and, and maybe make a little cameo appearance or show my face or do a, a video or something like that. I don't know. So that'd be fun. The Welsh Captain Jack Sparrow in Bloody Students as a cameo. I I really want to see that. Yeah, take my, yeah. Take I my had this money. idea because Bloody Students is set in a, a museum which is locked overnight. So I thought they can just run past like a pirate exhibition or exhibit, and it'll be me just like holding a freeze frame. It'll have to be so quick though that Disney don't actually sue me over it. But you know, <laughs> to be fair, I'm sure if you blur the background a bit, it should be all right. Yeah, yeah. There's ways around it. So quite literally, you are a jack of all trades. 
Yeah, uh, I was talking to someone yesterday, uh, and they were the second person this year to describe me as a renaissance man. Um, I'm not quite sure what that means. Uh, it gives you the idea of someone who does a bit of everything, which is a jack of all trades, isn't it? Um, yeah. So, um, you know, it, it's not that I do everything. It's just that I only I do a lot of things that I feel like anyone, like you feel confident enough to do it. Um, hmm. For example, um, when it comes to illustration, I rarely draw animals because I'm terrible at drawing animals. I can draw people. I can draw sci-fi. I can draw anything you like. But animals, very tricky. So yeah. when I get um, uh, commissions to do uh, book illustrations full of animals, I'm like, oh, no. There's a lot of, <laughs> lot of reference material there. But I, I don't do things that I, I'm not any good at, which is why I don't drive or swim. <laughs> Funnily enough, I was having a uh, conversation with someone who I um, wrestle with and he was saying it's like if you were in a match and then you're blown up or like um, you've got no gas in the tank and you're trying to do all these things you're not 100% on, it's going to look mm. naff. But then it's like if you go to the things that you know you can nail, it's like, all right, I'm going to give you something that's good, even though I'm running right. on empty. Like, so that's Well, there what... you go. You, 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 everyone has to play to their strengths, whatever that is. Hmm. And uh, if you if you're forced with doing something that you're not, uh, you don't have the equipment or the energy or whatever or the, the knowledge for, then you have to quickly learn up, I guess, or uh, try and avoid it or whatever. There's no point in trying to do everything, you know. Oh no! But uh, uh, and and again, there's a lot to be said for job satisfaction. If you stick to the things you enjoy, then uh, it feels less like hard work, you know. It feels less like a job and more like um, something you are really passionate about even though absolutely absolutely you know i mean I, I when i worked for the stop motion company i always said that was the best job in the world and people were like well you weren't being paid very much and i was like it's not the point mm. the point is i was going to work for eight hours a day surrounded by spaceships and and model monsters and stuff and i was storyboarding and and building miniature sets and stuff and i thought this is like the closest i'm going to get to working for star wars so you know <laughs> money's on top of that great you know exactly it's like the old um, expression, isn't it? When people say, I would rather work less hours in something that I enjoy than doing a full-time job in something I absolutely hate. I come home and I'm drained. I just don't want to do anything no, else. No doubt. I mean, I know I know people who have made the the jump from being freelance to doing a nine-to-five. And while they've got the this job security and the, the bills paid, they're driving themselves nuts because they don't have any time. Uh, mm. to do anything creative or to relax it's just like go to work eat some food go you know uh, go to sleep and repeat and uh, yeah. I've kind of be the other way I'm panicking about money almost all the time <laughs> but I'm surrounded by stuff that I make and enjoy and do so I think I'd rather keep it this way and there's ways around it like with the money situation sure sure I mean it's, it's not uh, desperation uh, no. this, this last two years has been tricky but uh, tricky for everyone but uh, I, I heard um, a quote, a really inspiring quote from uh, Jim Carrey of all people. He did a, he did some, it's always, it's, it's online everywhere, but he did a, a, a an address, you know, it's an end of year address to some college. My father could have been a great comedian, but he didn't believe that that was possible for him. And so he made a conservative choice. Instead, he got a safe job as an accountant. And when I was 12 years old, he was let go from that safe job and our family had to do whatever we could to survive. I learned many great lessons from my father, not the least of which was that you can fail at what you don't want. So you might as well take a chance on doing what you love.
it's something that everyone should live by just no matter what you do whether you're in the arts entertainment or something completely different like as long as you're passionate about it what's the matter what anyone else thinks find a bit of joy because you know um life is too short and we don't realize when we're younger we don't realize you know we're all in our 20s running around drinking and having fun and that and you don't realize that those are your days when you've got the most energy and now i'm in my 50s and like you know the, the teeth and the hair are going and that you know the <laughs> The injuries don't heal up and I'm beginning to walk, you know, with a bad knee and, and you're thinking, I'm just falling apart now. It's, <laughs> I wish I had, you know, all this energy that I had in my 20s to get more stuff done. So mm. you know. we can rebuild him, but I don't want well, to spend a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not on the NHS. <laughs> well, that um, leads us transitioning on to a little bit of fun. What I usually do on the show, uh, Terry, is a little thing I like to call Would You Rather. So I say two things. And okay. before we start, on the last series, I had so many people having panic attacks because I, oh, no, if I say the, I don't want that one, it goes away. It's like, no, no, it's just what you'd rather right now. And then you can have the other one later. So, How quick do you want the answers? Are they really brief or? Entirely up to you. If you want to give an explanation, by all means, we can have a chat about it. But if you want want to just give it a brief one, just uh, whatever you're feeling. All right. There we are. Right. First one, a film related, Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. Um, I love both. Again, Mm. it's it's not a case of I hate Trek. I I love Star Trek. I grew up with Star Trek. I grew up with Star Wars. Um, I do prefer Star Wars to Star Trek. Mm. Um, but the caveat to that is Star Wars at the moment is in a very weird di- it's <laughs> ch- dichotomy, isn't it? It's like it, half of it, like, you know, the sequel trilogy didn't go down too well. And I wasn't a big fan of them, but all the current stuff, the Mandalorian and Boba Fett, brilliant. Mm. So uh, I think, you know, if there were two doors, one marked Millennium Falcon, the other marked USS Enterprise, I would end up on the Millennium Falcon. And just saying Obi-Wan Kenobi series. Oh my god! <gasps> I oh, stoked is not the word. We could be here for like three hours just talking about that. We could make a we, film we, just talking we about really it. Could. We really could. <laughs> right. Um, second question: straight play or musical? Oh, that's a tricky one. I know. Um, do you know what the weird thing is? I've I've never seen a musical live. I've never gone oh. to like a a, a musical. I've got a friend who's massively into she goes to every musical around and she's like, oh, you should do it. You should do it. And, you know, I watch musicals. Uh, the most recent was probably Tick, Tick, Boom. Oh, yeah. Uh, Andrew Garfield's latest film, which I thought was fantastic, mm. uh, considering you didn't expect that to come from Andrew Garfield. But guys, so talented, it's ridiculous. Mm. Um, uh, and straight plays. I've seen I've seen a couple of straight plays like in the theater, etc. I've even been in a few plays. Um <laughs> I don't know. Oh, cool. Uh, let me think. Musicals get a little bit more respect because people have to sing and act at the same time and, mm. and that kind of thing. And there's timing. I mean, Hamilton blew me away. Um, <laughs> so if I uh, had, what would I rather? It's like, say, no, you were doing a um, back-to-back. So like you've seen a matinee in the afternoon, then you've yeah, seen which one would you watch first? Which one would you watch first? I think I'd watch the musical first because uh, everyone likes a bit of music. Gets you hyped up for the rest of the day then, isn't it? Yeah, sure. There we go. Uh, Tea or coffee? Um, That's another good one because (laughs) uh, when I spent 10 years as a rapper, um, (laughs) my nickname was Rapster T because T for Terry. Um, But everyone was like, oh, you're the English guy, so you're you're obviously into cups of tea. 
Um, so our manager told us that when we check into hotels on tour, never use your own name because there are groups of diehard fans, many of them uh, young girls who shouldn't really be out without their parents. Mm. Uh, they all pile into cars and drive around the, and follow the bands. And they check into hotels looking for these band members. So he said, avoid all that. Check in as a false name. So I used to sign in as Earl Grey. Mm. Um, and I love a cup of tea. Uh, but at the moment, I'm drinking a lot of coffee. And I've got a flask full of coffee here right now. I use coffee to keep me awake and tea when I want to relax. There we are. You've got. Oh, um... So I didn't make a choice, though, did I? <laughs> Just explain both. Well, you, you've um, got coffee now. so I've got coffee now. But if somebody just said to me, you can have anything you like as a hot drink, I'd be like, tea, oh, great, hot. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> now, going back to Jack Sparrow in a way, pirates or Vikings? I was, I would pick pirates all the time, mate, basically. <laughs> I'll have them. thing is, um, uh, doing 11 years of Jack Sparrow, um, it's surprising how much I knew and how much I didn't know about pirates. Yeah. I got called into my old school where I, you know, from my, my teenage years, I got called in to do a talk on pirates as Jack Sparrow, and I had to do two classes an hour long. And I had no, like, material. You know, generally doing Jack Sparrow means walking around, doing all the catchphrases and the voices and posing for photos. But when I was standing in front of a class of 15-year-olds who basically don't want to be there, and they go, look at, look at the guy in the stupid outfit, um, I had to sort of tell them stuff. So I, I prepared all this material about all the different pirates and the ones that survived, the ones that got away, the female pirates and how they lived and how they died and all this sort of stuff. And it, got, it became really fascinating. Hmm. I haven't really got into the Viking thing much, um, but again, equally fascinating. You know, they traveled a lot more than uh, most of the, the, the Europeans who discovered all these countries. The Vikings are doing it long before them, you know? So, uh, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, everyone tells me I should have been watching... Um, all the uh, the shows i mean there was uh, black sails was the pirate one which i never mm. caught but there's a vikings well i think it's just called vikings actually yeah. uh i never watched that either but uh, obviously i'm going to choose pirates in this case fair play cats or dogs cats cats um, i love dogs uh i do love dogs um i um my, uh, the friend i was talking about who loves the musical she's got seven dogs oh. uh seven <laughs> Uh, and she's always had at least six dogs at any one time. And uh, when we first uh, got to know each other, we met online and stuff. She uh, said, oh, do you like cats or dogs? And I said, I'm a cat person. I said, oh, and I said something hor horrible about dogs, making something like, oh, they should all be extinct. And I didn't mean it, but <laughs> being a dog lover, she took it the wrong way. Mm. And to this day, she's like, I'm sure you don't like dogs. And uh, no, do you know what? I just like, I don't like yappy dogs. And as a 16-year-old, um, I had a really friendly dog um, come up to me and let me stroke him. And the second I shook, turned my back and ignored him, he took a chunk out of my leg uh, and just went crazy. Wow. And that's now, it's not a phobia, but it's an aversion. If I see someone with a dog walking down the street, I will cross the road because hmm. it's that kind of you can't trust them. I know you can't trust cats either. They're all completely self-centered. Oh, yeah. But I do like the... Uh, uh, when a cat's in a good mood, cats are quite affectionate and uh, and and uh, more independent, less less. Hassle, yeah, I was going to say they tend to do their own thing in the corner of the room. You can leave them to it. It's like, yeah, you crack on, go have your cup. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. dogs, like, feed me, play with me. Yeah, love me. I mean, me. don't get me wrong. If if somebody gifted me a, a black Labrador, mm. I'd love it. I think that's my favorite dog, actually, yeah. black lab. 
Um, but uh, uh, I, I do have a cat where I am now. I don't own a cat, but there's this stray cat that visits me on a regular basis. And he's a bit schizophrenic. He's, he's really nice until he gets fed. And then he tries to before. But this one's a little bit potty, I think. Hmm. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say cats. Yeah, fair enough. I was going to say, like, um, I'm surprised your friend who loves the musicals and has all the dogs, you made the joke, and then they just burst out into a musical number. They just bark in an ensemble. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you think she'd be into Cats, the musical, but no, there's, well, she, well, I think she is, but at the end of the day, um, there's no musical called Dogs yet. Maybe she was a cat person, but then she saw the film version of Cats and then that put her off. <laughs> I think that will put anyone off, wouldn't it? Let's face it. Well, James Corden being a pussy. Also, he was in Cats. Yeah, well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, going back to um, your experience with animation, uh, really? would you rather watch a hand-drawn animated film or a claymation stop-motion animated film? Ooh. Um, I think because I'm an artist, I would go with hand-drawn. Mm -hmm. uh, my favourite uh, animated film... I think of all time is the Emperor's New Groove. Um, oh, such an which, underrated film. Yeah, well, it's the film that Disney would rather forget because everything went wrong during the production. Yes. It started off life as um, a very serious kind of uh, film. It's all about you know the em Emperor Cusco destroying this city to make room for his his empire and all this kind of stuff, and it got very dark. And then they decided to scrap it after spending fortunes on it. Mm. And they um, they brought Sting in to do like six songs and then they decided they didn't want any of them. And they ended up keeping two, but got Tom Jones to sing one of them. And, and then they turned it into like a slapstick buddy movie. But by then they'd spent all their cash on redoing the film. So they mm. had no money for marketing. Uh, it's since become a bit of a cult hit. And, you know, it spawned um, The Emperor's New School and Kronk's New Groove, which was yeah. the sequel. Um so people have begun to sort of rediscover it and like it. So it's my, one of my favorite films. Um, I do know a lot of people who animated on the uh, the new Chuck Steele movie, which is all claymation. Oh, uh, it's called uh, Night of the Trampires, <laughs> and it's the most high quality claymation you've ever seen. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, but uh, yeah, I think probably hand drawn. I guess uh, Hercules mm. is my second favorite animation. Oh, I it's got that. It's the Gerald Scarf. Um, he was a British mm. uh, political cartoonist. He did most of the character designs for Hercules. And it's a complete sort of departure from the standard uh, Disney style. Yes. Um, but again, some great voice acting in there. Great um, uh, music, everything. So, yeah, those two. I don't want to like bring age into it, this, but this that was the first film I ever saw in the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> and I was Oh, four. my goodness. <laughs> the first film I saw in the cinema, um, do you know what? Th this will this will make you feel like less than a, a, a tiny little fetus. Um, I think the first film I saw in the cinema might have been Pete's Dragon, oh. which was a Disney live-action cartoon mm. hybrid. Yeah, It was either that or something along the lines of the Spider-Man theatrical movie, but I'm talking Nicholas Hammond uh, <laughs> back in 77. Mm. Um, I mean, I saw Star Wars in most people say they saw Star Wars in 77. In this country, they didn't. A lot of people saw it, saw it in 78 because in 1977, Star Wars had a very, very limited release in London. Yes. So that you had to wait until 78 before it was in everyone's cinemas. I did live in London mm -hmm. uh, as a kid, but I, I didn't get to see Star Wars till early 
78. Ah, and that's the thing, like, just side tangent in about Star Wars for a minute. A lot of people get shocked when you say the only merchandise they had when the film first came out was just a T-shirt that said Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. Like People say, what Um, about the action figures? It's like, well, they didn't have action figures to start with. No, they did that whole early bird thing, didn't they? Well, they, yeah. um, I mean, and, and that was mostly in the States. They, we didn't get that in the UK. Mm. Um, in the States, they had, oh, we don't have any any toys ready for uh, Christmas. So what we'll do, we'll, you pay now for four figures and we'll send you a cardboard and a, and a receipt saying you can cash this in at your local toy store for four figures. And um, do you know my pet hate with Star Wars uh, is that when you mention Star Wars figures to anyone, any age, anywhere, any time, they will say, "Oh yeah, yeah, I had them all. I had them all. Yeah, they're all probably probably still have all up in there. I had all the ships and all. I had all the vehicles. You didn't have them all. You didn't. No. You had about twenty. Yeah. Like, oh, I had them all. Yeah, no, I had every one. No, you didn't. <laughs> I mean, a- my brother inherited my Star Wars figure collection, and he's got um, three IKEA um, multi-shelf units." Hmm with about 100 figures on each one. Uh, he's got everything, even the, the, the later ones, the Phantom Menace ones. Um, and he hasn't got them all. So he's got like 400 figures and he hasn't got them all. So mm. when you're, oh yeah, I was there. When I was 12, I had them all. No, you didn't. <laughs> you didn't. What about six? It's like when people say, it's like, yeah, I got all the Funko Pops. It's like, you do realize how many Funkos there are in the world, right? Exactly. There's that <laughs> whole thing about Funkos. It's like, they, oh, can't take them out of the box. It's like, you know, these are mass produced. They're not worth very much. Yeah. Like, you know? for, oh, there's some rare ones, though. They're not that yeah, rare. Yeah. People will go mental over them because it's just like, oh, it's a Comic Con exclusive for like a week. It'll be like 80 quid. Then next week, yeah. it'll be like a tenner. Yeah. This is why I'm just like, I just like them. I won't pay ridiculous amounts of money for them. But I won't be one of these people who tries to flip them for the ridiculous prices either. Yeah, and um, well, I, I know people who have got the entire wall of their room full of them just stacked up. Mm. I mean, it's good insulation, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it's um, good like for putting and keeping things in order, but you can't really see them. The only Funkos them. I really want uh, are quite expensive at the moment, and it's the, it's the, the Run DMC set. You get all three of Run DMC yeah, plus the turntables for Jam Master J. So I'd really like that. But otherwise, again, I'm not a fan of Funkos, but you know, there you go. Exactly. And last one, I feel like this is a very British question. Scones right. or crumpets? Ooh. Now, it, scone is a is more of a cake, isn't it? I think you can you can chop a scone and you can stick some jam and some cream in there, and it feels mm. more like a cake because it's got icing sugar on it. Yes. And a crumpet is more savory. I think that's like in mm. the toaster. Yeah. You know, you could put jam on it if you want and, yeah. and honey or whatever, but um, I, I'm gonna go crumpet. I like the the, the weird alien funginess of it. It's like a <laughs> you know, it's full of holes. It's like a piece of, it's like a sea sponge, mm. and all those holes will hold melted butter really nicely. I mean, it runs down your arm when you're trying to eat it. But um, now I'm just wondering why Star Wars has never done a crossover with war buttons. Oh, there was that weird thing in um, The Force Awakens when Rey is at home in her attat and she's cooking something. She sprinkles this powder onto this little stove and it instantly inflates into like a green bun. I'm like, I want one of them. <laughs> Some weird inflaty bun thing. One of the positive things someone took from the new trilogy then. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I was scraping barrel there, but there you go. <laughs> I did have Simon Pegg in it. And guess what? Simon Pegg's birthday today, Valentine's Day. Oh, there we are then. Another reason for the first episode of the Series 2 to be 
special. Yeah. Legend. Happy birthday, Mr. Peg. Yeah. <laughs> or do you prefer Simon? I don't know. It's probably Mr. Peg nowadays. He knows Tom Cruise, don't you know? Yeah, that is true. It'll be Sir Simon Peg before long. Oh, yeah. He's, um, I wonder if he's the sort of person who turned it down. You know, some people like Michael. Mm. Um, Stephen Michael Hawking. Turned his down or, yeah, they sort of turned their, th- their things down. Uh, John Lennon did the same thing, I think. Um, <laughs> Paul McCartney didn't. I'm Sir Paul, you know. <laughs> um, but, it, yeah, I mean, Simon Pegg, uh, I mean, he, he, I've got his autobiography somewhere called Nerd Do Well. Aww. And, you know, think about it. He's like, he's roughly the same age as me. He saw Star Wars in a cinema in London, same as I did. And, uh, and now, you know, he's been in a Star Wars film. He's been in a Trek, he's been in a number of Trek films. Mm-hmm. You know, he's working with Tom. He's literally living the dream. It's like, it, it's, it's quite an, whether you like the guy or not, it's an inspiration. And I he don't is. know anyone who doesn't like Simon Pegg, to be honest. I mean, anyone who probably says they don't, I'm just like, no, nah, you're either lying or in denial. <laughs> yeah, or or you or he owes you money or something because he's, mm. he just seems like a proper down-to-earth nice guy. Or they just watched Space and thought it was supposed to be a drama. <laughs> uh, a lot, so many people haven't seen Spaced uh, I saw it in uni it took me so many years but when I went to uni my friend showed it to me and honestly it's one of my favourite sitcoms now I'm just I, was, like, I was the same I missed it when it was on Channel 4 because it was on quite late at night perhaps sort of 10 or 11 o'clock usually yeah. and I, I totally missed that era I don't know what mm. I was doing but I was probably um, just watching something else or whatever <laughs> but um, yeah I caught it when um, you know it came out on DVD and you know that that's that's you know one of the required viewings. That's like one of your best oh, uh, yes. sitcoms ever, and it's a great introduction to what Edgar Wright's um, known cinematography would be oh, like in the future. Me. I mean, don't get you know it's uh, Edgar Wright's a massive, massive uh, inspiration of mine, and mm. you know, plugging my own film again, Bloody Students, is a kind of poor man's spiritual successor to Shaun of the Dead because it's it's a, co- a horror comedy and mm. it's. Um, I want it to be every bit as uh, fun and dynamic as the stuff Edgar Wright does. Yeah. Um, so, you know, fingers crossed. We'll see, we'll see how that goes. Um, can't go wrong if you're trying to emulate something that Edgar Wright's done. Yeah, exactly. You know, people love that stuff. Yes. And like I said, we will get on to talk about that a little more when we um, mm. plug that at the end. But yeah. let's get into the main portion that everybody loves, the ranting. Because Ooh, here we go. us as artists, as entertainers, and just people in general just love a good rant, especially if you're British. Right, yeah. <laughs> so, but you know what? I think... Uh, go on. I, uh, I'm half English and half Welsh. Uh, I, I've got no idea what makes someone's nationality because I've been told so many different things, right? Is it your parents? Is it where you were born? Is it where you live now? Is it where you spent most of your time? Is it where your grandparents... You can ask 10 people and get a different answer every time. Mm. Uh, I once knew a 96-year-old lady who was a war hero, and I asked her about um, what my nationality is, and I said, well, you know, I was born in London. Does that make me English? And she goes, you can be born in China. It doesn't make you a Chinaman. (laughs) Now, I apologize for using the word Chinaman because that's (laughs) not very politically correct now. You use it for historical accuracy for what she said. That's how she said it, yeah. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I was like, well, does that make me Welsh? Because I've got Welsh parents who are both born in South Wales. Um, Let's let the viewers decide. Is Terry Cooper English or Welsh? You make vote the call. <laughs> yeah. Don't vote after a certain time. You may still be charged. <laughs> oh, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? I know. Uh, it'd be nice to get some money off this podcast. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 
So the way this... Oh, um, yeah, got, sorry, oh, that was my long, my roundabout way of saying, feeling as English as I do, <laughs> it's very hard to get an Englishman to actually rant. We usually just sit here and mumble and go, oh, fair enough. <laughs> um, just in the corner um, ben of Elton the said this thing. That's the thing about British people. You're in a restaurant. It's the worst meal I've ever had. The worst meal. Wait, it comes over. Everything all right? Oh, yes, fine, fine. Yep, yeah, fine. <laughs> you don't want to say anything. Can't be asked for the hassle half the time. No, no. You and I will be on a metaphorical audition panel and we will be auditioning things that may or may not get rejected from the industry. So, without further ado, let's kick off Series 2, people. What is the first thing Terry Cooper is kicking out of this audition room? Now you're talking not not people, but things, yeah, or ideas. I had Matthew Bull on you who said he wanted to reject Zack Snyder, so. <laughs> oh. um, well, you know, um, the first thing I really brings to mind is sort of connected to Zack Snyder. The easiest way of describing it is toxic fandom. The nice way of describing it is Mark Hamill is UPFs, ultra passionate fans. Mm. Um, that sounds nicer. Don't get me wrong. I've been guilty of being a little bit, in inverted commas, toxic when I don't like something, but not to the point where I would send the actor death threats or, or, or that really insane stuff. It, I think the thing is like we're in a, a world now where everyone is so connected to social media. Twitter is, is probably the worst place for it, Sec- yeah. uh, followed closely by YouTube. People, uh, you know, the public, the consumers, whatever you want to call them, they have this ridiculous sense of entitlement. Yesterday, mm. um, uh, well, early hours this morning, they put out the the trailer for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And although there's lots of people saying, can't wait for this, can't wait for this, you're always going to get in the comments someone saying, I hate the film, I hate the guy, I hate Marvel, I hate this, mm. I hate that, it should be this, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be wonder, it should be this. And they're just like, it's just as if moaning enough about it will shape the film. And mm. it, it kind of like... Back in the day, when The Empire Strikes Back came out, there was no people going, as far as I know, it was like, it was a case of, there's the film, have what you're given, accept it. Yeah. You go, oh, let's write, a, let's write a petition campaign because I don't like the fact that Darth Vader is Luke's father. That's the film, just, you know, um, people just get so... Uh, it's all right to object to something. It's all right to sort of say, oh, that's not how I would have done it. Yeah. But leave it at that, <laughs> you know, don't... Don't try and the whole um, uh, release the Snyder cut thing, right? Yeah. Don't get me wrong. It it was a massive show of support for Zack Snyder and it got the result. You know, the Snyder cut finally got made. The, the studio put a lot of money into Zack Snyder to, so he could finish his version. The release the Snyder cut people, they, they funded billboards in the States and stuff, mm. uh, all this kind of stuff. But apparently not one of them actually, they didn't make any effort to thank the studio. They didn't thank Warner Brothers once it was out. It was like, yay, we win. It wasn't like, thanks for doing it. Thanks for listening to us. It mm. was really kind of one-sided. It was a stamping their feet and throwing tantrums till they got what they want. And then it was like, ha-ha, we win. And yeah. it was like, ah, oh, show some class. Show a bit of class. And Also, I have a little side point about this. It's like they do realize Zack Snyder didn't do every single thing that it takes to make a film right he just had like a small portion of it yeah a driving force of that did he make the costumes did he do the effects did he do the lighting did he do anything of the set no and also um because joss whedon got pulled in to do what the studio told him to do mm. um whether you like it or not whenever like his uh, version or his contributions or not he was pulled in to do a job and he did it to the best of his ability yeah. you, I mean, a lot of people didn't like it but 
the DC fans were going, oh, see, that joke was terrible and that shot was awful. and that." Was... But when the Snyder Cut came out, so, certain things existed in the Snyder Cut that clearly Zack Snyder did. Mm. And they quickly clammed up about that. Oh, there was a joke there that well, I said Joss Whedon did it and it was terrible, but it turns out it was Zack Snyder. And <sighs> it's like, stop being so entitled. It's like, yeah, Joss Whedon used to be one of my heroes and there's been all this stuff about him coming out about being mm. you know, inappropriate and being a yeah, bully, yeah. And being creepy and all that stuff. And it is hard when one of your heroes uh, come out as, as you know, less than uh, squeaky uh, clean. Yeah. As it were, I can't not like the stuff that he did in his heyday. Oh, no. Still love Buffy and hmm. Serenity and Firefly and all that stuff. The first um, Avengers. Oh, good. You know, I mean, look, look at his achievements. Yeah. And to be honest, um, I'm not, I'm not trying to forgive him for being creepy or inappropriate no. or bullying or anything like that. In the days when we didn't have the social media and the sort of the the instant awareness of stuff like this, Stanley Kubrick, Ridley Scott, and James Cameron were being horrible. Yeah. To their cast and crew. Mm-hmm. Stanley Kubrick made Shelley Duval do about 115 takes of a scene in The Shining just to get her into an emotionally ragged state yeah. that she said, I don't want to work with this guy ever again. He literally bullied the crap out of her. If that happened last week, they would have cancelled his ass straight away. Yeah, the film would never have been made. Jim Cameron has admitted uh, that he's mellowed in his days, but he said back in the day, I was a proper tyrant, you know, on the days of the Abyss and the Terminator. And mm. uh, as somebody who wants to be a director, I'm aware of both sides of it. You've got to try to keep control of this, you know, herd of cats in front of you. Mm. Um, but at the same time, you've got to kind of keep a light, friendly, cohesive atmosphere, you know? Yeah. You know, fandom doesn't make it easier. No. Um, when my film comes out, there are people going to be judging it on the same basis as a $200 million Hollywood blockbuster and go, oh, it was terrible. Couldn't you have done better? And it's like, yeah, you spotted some of the things that look a bit shonky, but you didn't spot the 300 things we did fix in yeah. post. So, Like you just mentioned it briefly, is like there's a sense of entitlement now, especially because of the easily accessible social medias. Everyone can go on their phones, go on their laptops, any form of device and put some words in a keyboard and their opinion is out there. And don't get me wrong, everyone has an opinion. That is absolutely fine. Yeah. And I brought this up on a previous episode. There was a guy in my college, he used to love Empire Magazine, basically for film reviews, mm. any anything film-related news or entertainment yeah. news. And he would treat that as the gospel and say no if there was a review. Let me get my words out again. Review, but not yeah. a rubber, rubber, turn into Tigger there. The wonderful <laughs> world of Tigger. I didn't like that film at all. <laughs> but oh, um, say no if um, they gave a film five stars. You he f- would take that as. Yeah. That, and if you said. Empire said it was great, therefore it's great. Yeah, and it's like, if you thought to yourself, it wasn't that great, it's not for me personally, and you've openly said that, he would turn to you and say, oh, your opinion's wrong. Or even yeah, if it's the flip now. side, it's like, they say this film is bad. It's like, actually, I found that quite entertaining. It's like, no, your opinion's yeah. wrong. It's like, how yeah. could opinion be wrong? But the flip side of that, because you can have an opinion, doesn't mean you should try and force and get things changed because of your one opinion. And, and that could be said for a lot of things. I mean, I mean, look at the whole uh, stuff surrounding Doctor Who. When they announced Jodie Whittaker as the next Doctor, I was, no one was overjoyed to me. I was like, fantastic, can't wait. She seems like a great actress. I've only ever seen her in Attack the Block, and she was great in that. Mm. But over time, I thought she was uh, 
you know, badly miscast. I didn't think she brought much to the role and she was not my thing, you know. She didn't sort of float me boat. Now, hmm. that instantly, according to the passionate fans of Doctor Who, that would put me into the NMD category, which is not my doctor, because people started using that hashtag. But then I was never a big fan of Colin Baker's run as the doctor. Hmm. Um, but there was no, not my doctor there. It was just like, you know, um, mm. and I've worked with Colin Baker yeah. and, and I discussed it with him and he said, I, I totally understand. He said, it's the whole entitlement thing. It's like, it's okay for me to say, look, Jodie Whittaker didn't do it for me. Uh, I'm not going to stop watching Doctor Who. I'm, I'm not going to throw a load of vitriol and hate out at her. It's mm. like she's an actor doing a job. Yeah. Um, and people should stop, you know, just sort of, going a bit mental about it it's just like oh, look, she's finished now there's another doctor on the way they might be better they may be worse can you but- imagine if that happened with oh. other works like classical paintings for example say no if you went and saw the mona lisa in person and yep. say no you didn't like the way that da vinci drew that painting you wouldn't be going to the artist's um uh collaboration or i don't know what the name of it is or like a the ones at the top and say, I don't like this painted. It's offensive to women. I want it removed. It's like, they're not going to take the painted down. I don't know how the Mona Lisa could be offensive to women, but hey, oh, that's just me pulling random things out. Well, well, I mean, but this this is how uh, surreal and ridiculous some of these claims are. If the Mona Lisa was painted last week and it comes out, there'd be a, a whole uh, slew of people sort of mobilizing their forces and getting together and, and starting these smear campaigns saying the Mona Lisa... Uh, targets women who don't have eyebrows or something. And it would just, yeah. they'd pick on something like that and blow it up into this huge mm. scandal or whatever. And it's like, oh, for goodness sake, it's only a big deal if you make it a big deal. Exactly. You and uh, and again, it's... if you don't like Jodie Whittaker, fine. Kind of do what I do and go, yeah, she's not for me, but you know, I still like the show. Yeah. Um, it will improve. And like anything, it, it will be good. It'll be bad. Same with Star Wars. I, I, I picked Star Wars earlier on in the podcast and, uh, hmm. I totally admit there are problems with it, but then there's problems with my favorite Star Wars film, A New Hope. There's loads of problems in that, but I love the film. Exactly. Anyone who's lucky out there to have a partner, especially on Valentine's Day, <laughs> you're not going to love 100% everything about your partner. There's got to be something, but it's give and take. And it's exactly. like Kevin Smith says, it's price of admission. You mm. know, it's like you accept the the the, the flaws because at the end of the day, you're enjoying the benefits. So yeah. it's like, I'm not perfect either. So you accept me and I'll accept you. And it's that kind of thing. And yeah. it's too extreme and polarized, I think, nowadays. Mm. Um, I, I really want to jump off Twitter because sometimes I make the mistake of, you know, jumping into a conversation that's got nothing to do with me mm. because I get so riled up. You know, I know. I and it, it's so easy to get riled up, especially when people are shoving stupid things out like that. It's like, yeah, okay, you can have your opinion. I'm not saying that you can't. That's the mm. joy of everyone having an opinion. Like you said, everyone's got like uh, some imperfections. If they have like one thing that they don't like, but you love it, you're not going to tell them to get out the door, are you? The weird thing is people wouldn't act like this in person yeah. in front of you. Like so, you said earlier with the uh, restaurant, if you hate your meal and then um, they come up and they say, why was your food? It was good. Yeah. Like you, you said. You wouldn't uh, jump up and throw the table at the waiter, but <laughs> metaphorically, that's what people are doing on Twitter. Yeah. You know, they're sort of rip, they're trashing the restaurant mm. and not paying their bill. You know, yeah. it's like just because you can doesn't mean you should. It's like, calm down a bit. Blimey. The classic term keyboard warriors, isn't it? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've I've had um, you know, and I still have to this day. I've, I've, I've anonymous trolls bashing me just because they feel great about it. And I've said to them genuinely, I've replied as a look. Why don't you let me know who you are? Drop me an email. Let's talk this out. If we agree to disagree, then fair enough. Yeah, uh, I think a lot of people should use the term "agree to disagree" a lot more. We'd we'd get a lot further. You know, totally agree. They remain smugly silent and anonymous and keep throwing the nastiness and you're like well at this point if you're not even willing to you know explain sometimes they don't even explain they just say i hate you and you go why do you hate me i don't care i just hate you and you're like because i do yeah and you're like oh okay then well you're totally entitled to feel that way they could be using their time a lot more effectively than ranting about one singular person or like a single piece of art or a single film or anything like that it's like the world isn't going to stop because you don't like what this director did with a character yeah yeah and um you know unfortunately because of things like youtube and twitter there are youtubers out there whose entire income is brought in by their rants about how much they despise something. Yeah. And instead of saying, well, do you know what? I'm not going to watch, for example, Star Wars anymore. Mm. They're going to keep making videos about how much they hate Star Wars. Uh, and I'm like, that doesn't really do anyone any favors. It's just your opinion at the end of the day. Exactly. And, you know, one of my best friends, the first movie they ever saw was The Phantom Menace. That's how young he is. And he still likes The Phantom Menace. Hmm. And you know what? The older it gets, the less I mind it. It's hmm. not a perfect film. No. My least favorite Star Wars film is Attack of the Clones. Uh, didn't think was, that was very good at all. It was just boring. But it, it had moments. It yeah. had moments in it. You know, there were little bits in there that was like, okay, fair enough. Again, everyone's opinion differs, but I'm not going to start a massive campaign or invent a hashtag and get, you know, try and get <laughs> a million viewers on YouTube uh, tuning into my Why I Hate the Attack of the Clones movie uh, every week podcast, because I'd rather go out there and try and do, in the short time we've got on this planet, try and inject a bit more positivity, positivity. excitement, whatever. Yeah, you know. Yeah. It's never good for anyone. It's just a waste of energy. You can dislike something, but don't go on social media and basically get everyone to start up hate campaign on someone and stop forcing people out of their careers if you choose to put all your energy and effort into the stirring up this negative cloud of hate it's like you need to sort of look at yourself and go you know i shouldn't i should be putting my energy into something that benefits me or if they want to be selfish something that benefits them rather than i don't know it's just like i can't see why you would keep perpetuating negativity Mm. and hate especially for something you don't like just steer away from it yeah you know the other thing is like uh when when, if the remake or reboot comes out people complain a lot but and they say oh it's ruined the original and like well it hasn't the original still exists Mm. hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy one of my favorite things right i love the books i love the tv show from the 80s which is super low budget and then the movie came out with martin freeman and it has its moments, but I'm not a massive fan. I own it on DVD. I don't watch it very often. Hmm. And now they're talking about a Hulu series coming out, American-produced Hulu series. And people are saying, oh, they're going to ruin it. It's like, well, no, they might ruin their version hmm. in your eyes, but they're not going to ruin the 1981 BBC TV series. Not for me. If I don't like it, I won't watch it. Big deal. I'm not going to start a campaign about it. But there's one hashtag I will definitely get behind, and that is hashtag reject toxic fandoms from everything in life in my opinion so yeah it doesn't further... do any good does it doesn't no. do any good for anyone definitely not so with that being said terry 
for the second time on this podcast, actually, toxic fandoms are getting rejected from the audition room. So out here, the room here. by good day, Mr. Okay. Shipman. You get nothing. Good day, sir. <laughs> I said good day. <laughs> and I think we need to go on and inject some positivity into our next point yep. by injecting negativity of why we want to reject it from the audition room. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what is the second thing auditioning for us today, Terry? And what has it done that makes you want to reject it from our wonderful world? The thing with all these topics uh, and stuff that we, like we've been talking about already, you have to be so careful about how you articulate them. Because I know. if you say something, um, people will take your, your first comment out of context mm. and instantly tar you with a brush, which is not entirely accurate. But I want to say woke stuff. Okay. And instantly people go, oh, what do you mean by that? All I'm trying to say is if you do something to make a point, such mm. as you make a film about slavery, for example, or you make a film like Schindler's List about Second World War and, you know, the atrocities committed uh, against the, the Jewish nation and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Fine. You know, that's the purpose of that piece of work is to sort of tell a story and show that mm. kind of thing. And nowadays, Schindler's List would be, would be described as woke. But I think it gets to the point where if your main story has nothing to do with feminism or, or racism or, or uh, injustice or prejudice or anything, if your main story is about the Terminator and then you start throwing in lots of plainly blatant things in there to have a bash at whatever you don't believe in, then that taints the original story. I'll give you an example. There's a TV series on at the moment called Resident Alien, in mm. which Alan Tudyk, it's a comedy. Uh, he, he plays an alien that's crash-landed on Earth in a small town in Colorado, and he's masquerading as a the town's doctor. And it's hilarious. He's, he's <laughs> learning how to drink, and he's learning how to have relationships, and he's, he's slowly feeling a bit more sympathetic for these human animals that he doesn't particularly like very much. And a lot of people, uh, the, the, the second series has just started, and a lot of people on Twitter said to me yesterday, oh, the third episode is woke, super woke. And I was like, oh, here we go. What have they done? And I watched it, and it wasn't that bad. It wasn't as bad as everyone made out. But the main thrust of the story was addressing the pay gap between men and women. Mm. Okay. And it, it was a couple of little jabs in, but yeah, I totally understand. I totally get the whole pay gap thing needs to be sorted out. And mm. they know how the glass ceiling at women are stuck in certain jobs, even to this day and, and men get further and men get the, you know, the treatment for, but you know, there is, there's always been a difference between men and women. You know, uh, mm. I've got daughters and a granddaughter, and I know that they're going to get a lot of grief for being female that me as a bloke, simply doesn't get you know as i say the whole safety about walking down the street at night and stuff like that hmm. uh, which is a big problem but the problem with this third episode although it was focused on the pay gap between men and women that's all it was about and that took away from the main drive of the story of this alien who's got a mission to do hmm. stuff for good or, or for bad hmm. But then to take a, a detour, to let's just do an episode about gender inequality. I was like, that's that that should be somewhere else. I'm not saying it shouldn't be talked about. I'm just saying it it 
it's not what Resident Alien is about. So would you say your point is more like of political statements, social commentaries, but shoehorned in where it's not necessary? Shoehorned in, exactly, where it's uh, blatantly doesn't fit and it's just somebody wanting to sort of um, get on their soapbox and, you know, and I'm not saying things can't be progressive. I mean, Doctor Who has been doing it from, Doctor Who's done it from day one, but basically... In the modern era with Russell T. Davis, he brought in a lot of things that were quite considered progressive. It seems to have been getting, see, I don't like to use the word woke, but what I mean is it's getting more and more into let's throw in some politics. You can state your case, you can wave your flag for whatever you believe in, Mm. but you don't have to do it at the detriment to other people or other things. Yes, there are things that you can slag off. No, nobody likes a Nazi. Nobody likes a racist. Nobody likes a sexist pig. When your show is about a time-traveling time lord who's out there sort of battling monsters and and evil in general if you take a detour like you said it's shoehorned in mm. where it sticks out like a sore thumb and it, it distracts just, from the rest of it the distracts piece. and it and it sort of almost makes your enjoyment a bit less because you know that they're they're just preaching at you you know yeah. that kind of thing and there's been quite a few episodes of doctor who you know even from 2005 onwards where you can see that's happening constantly and you kind of go so we're going to be talking about this now, are we? Yeah. You know, can we just get on with the, the, the fun excitement? Doctor Who is not supposed to be a political platform. Yeah. And although you can make your feelings known in things, and Star Trek did it really well, you know, with racism mm. in the 60s and all that kind of stuff. That's a part of what the show was about, but not all of it. It wasn't focused directly on it. And a lot of people have said that uh, Star Trek Discovery has taken it way too far. And other shows as well. Um, I'm a big proponent of, can we have some fun, please? <laughs> you know, can, we, yeah. can we just like brush all that under carpet and just yeah. have a bit of fun? When things are shunt in and it distracts or detracts, I should say, from the rest of the story, that's where it becomes a problem. Like, don't get me wrong. There are some great pieces out there that have political statements that do parody or satire on social commentary. Well, uh, George Orwell's 1984, the media manipulates and like how the mobs were taken over and stuff like that. But, and that's fine because that's what the piece is about. That's what it's about. Yeah. yeah. And like I say, Schindler's List is about how oppressive the Nazi regime was, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what it's about. But if you take something like the, the, the huge offender, Batwoman TV series, it's no longer about a superhero because every character, except possibly one, a lesbian or a person of color, and anytime there's a death, it's usually a middle-aged white guy. It's fine to kill off a white character. It's fine to kill off a male character. But if it happens every single week with annoying predictability, mm. there's an agenda there. Now, I've got people of color in my current script mm. and... I don't want someone to jump on me for saying, oh, you you killed someone. It's because you hate black people. You killed mm. a black character. I'm like, no, I just killed them because they're a character. They're a character. You know? and, it's, and I don't um... want to be pressured to keep that character alive just so I don't have people have a go at me and saying, oh, you don't like black people. It's like, I'm, I'm the least racist person in the world. I've got multiracial kids. And I grew up in London in a multiracial area. It's like, you know, I had a record called United Colors and hit the charts. It was all about <laughs> fighting the BNP. So... Yuck. But again, that's the thing. It's like, I'm going to kill off white people in my film. Doesn't make me anti-white. It, you know, it just means that's what happens with characters, you know. And people are getting so scared of things and it's putting constrictions and blinkers and, and sort of uh, it's forcing you down to take choices that you wouldn't normally take because you're scared of the mob attacking you. 
Hmm. If I wanted to make a film like Schindler's List, there are certain horrible things that you'd have to put in there. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that you're perpetuating violence against Jewish people, for example, or anything like that. It's just you, you, you're telling a story. If, if a character has to die, it, it shouldn't be about whether they're, mm. you know, black or white or female or male or gay or straight or anything like that. It's just like you've got to have some freedom to tell your story yeah. um, without fear of reprisals. People mobilize to take reprisals. Take yeah. action. Well, did you watch um, It's a Sin by Russell T. Davis? I watched years and years before that, but I didn't see yeah. it as a sin. Some people say like, oh, how in your face it is and like um, how aggressive it was. And like a lot of people praise it, but then people are saying it's like, oh, I think it was too aggressive, like with the police and all that, uh, whatever. But mm. it's like, but that's the way it was um, a lot of the time. So it's like when people yeah. say, or having a film and basing it during the days of slavery, and yeah. then you have scenes of um, people being abused, beaten up and all that. And say, so it's like, yeah. oh, that's that's offensive. That's this and that. It's like, that's what happened. We're not doing it because we have a thing that we hate anyone. No, yeah. it's because I'm showing you that's this is what was. happened. And it's a dramatization of that. Uh, do you remember recently there was a, 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 I think it might have been on the BBC, there was um, a dramatization of Anne Boleyn, but they cast a black actress. Oh, yeah, and, I didn't see it, but I've heard about it. Yeah, and, and there was a big uproar because obviously Anne Boleyn was a real-life character, a real-life person, mm -hmm. and she wasn't black. I would say that's wrong. I'm not saying deprive black actors of roles. Hmm. They were dressing it up as, oh, she was the best person for the job. It was like, she might have done a really good job of acting. Hmm. But the, the simple fact is that's not how it was historically. Hmm. And it's just as wrong as casting... Elizabeth Taylor as Cleopatra. Mm. You know, Cleopatra wasn't actually Egyptian. She was Greek, I found out. Ah. She was actually Greek, not an Egyptian thing. She became an Egyptian sort of uh, queen or whatever, mm. but she was Greek. Um, but then casting, you know, you know, <laughs> Elizabeth Taylor, it's not accurate to who the character was. Um, yeah. I'm not saying actors can't be something different because their job is to, to put on a performance and stuff. Hmm. Um, but going back to how, how fans mobilize against things they hate to ridiculous amounts, Scarlett Johansson was cast to play a trans character at some point, and she I, had to yeah. pull out yeah. because she wasn't trans. Because of the um, backlash. Whereas like, if yeah. that had happened a couple of years ago, she would have won a fucking Oscar. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, at the end of the day, actors should be allowed to be things they're not. Hmm. And Daniel Day-Lewis won an Oscar for My Left Foot. Daniel yes. Day-Lewis yeah. does not have cerebral palsy. Mm. But he played that character. Same with um, uh, Fantastic Beasts actor. I forgot his name. Eddie Redmayne. Eddie, Eddie Redmayne played mm. Stephen Hawking brilliantly. Yes. Yeah. Now, there are people nowadays who would, would argue that you have to find someone with cerebral palsy or motor neurone disease in Hawking's case yeah. to play that character. Um, but it's not always possible. Well, to re-emphasize a point that I mentioned on a previous episode when this came up, funnily enough, I was basically saying a conversation that I had with someone at university and they said that Eddie Redmayne should not have played Stephen Hawking because, like, he didn't have the disease. And she said, oh, someone should who has the disease should have played that role. And I said, wait, you want someone to play that role because it would accurately depict what they're going through? And she says, yes. And I just said, but if that's the case... When you have to recast every stage of the disease that you show on the film in order to accurately depict it. Because if um, someone's at the early stages of the disease, they're not going to know what it's like for 
like at the latter end of the stages and then you can't have someone who's at the latter stage because they're not going to be able to yeah and in the theory of everything eddie redmayne played a younger stephen hawking who's just noticing that he's beginning to fall over a lot mm. and you know to begin it was like oh how much have you had to drink kind of thing yeah but it's it his, his motor neuron disease kicking in now you know and taking it to the other extent i mean i'm a hope i hope you're you you do not get i don't get flamed <laughs> or you don't get flamed for this ellen page right who oh was, yeah yeah um, she was in um, juno x-men etc x-men um umbrella academy obviously one of the most famous trans people in the world now yeah uh, i've already made a mistake by using her dead name and referring to them as her you see yeah um he is now known as elliot page yeah fine and elliot page is a big uh, proponent uh, an outspoken person an advocate for trans rights etc which is great which is fine yeah now for someone to be that outspoken about trans actors for trans roles etc okay but why is elliot page still playing a female character in the umbrella academy yeah. you know if you're if yeah. you're going to draw that line and mm. say if you're female you can't play a male and if you're male you can't if you know if you're not trans you can't play trans etc then elliot page identifying as male he should be recast or that character in the Red Academy should be recast and Elliot Page can carry on playing trans characters in other places and other things. Mm. You can't sort of start, start cherry picking and go, oh, well, you know, uh, before my transition, I was cast as that character, so I need to carry on. It's like, well, this is an issue that's really close to my heart because uh, I'm, I have a trans member of my family. Um, hmm. I don't really want to elaborate it too much because it's not that well known. No, of course. Um, but I know the struggle that they're going through. If this is a thing that is going to be going forward in you know society and progression, we need to start having some kind of agreed way of dealing with these things. You know, hmm. so if you're not going to have actors, white actors blacking up to play black characters, you can't have it the other way either. It's got to be you've got to agree on the rules. Hmm. You know, and um, or either that, or you throw the rule book out the window. Yeah. So it's like let's let's allow white people to to portray black actors. I mean, in cases of Tropic Thunder, it wasn't Robert Downey Jr. making fun of black people. It the joke was that he was a uh, a method actor who went to the a extremes. method actor going very method. And it wasn't the jokes weren't at the expense of a black person. It was just at the expense of this the method character. actor. Yeah getting so deep into character that clearly wasn't them because mm. even robert downey jr was playing an australian so it's like shouldn't they have got an australian to play that character you know it's <laughs> like how far do you go with the ridiculousness of it all or do you throw it all out the window or and you go right well the wayans brothers can't play white chicks then mm. because 99 percent of that film is having a go at white people yeah you know um again it's, the it's more you double talk standard. about this the more you talk about this the more you get worried that someone's going to say oh i see you're like well what about this what about whites what about blacks i'm mm. not saying that i mean as someone who's been into hip-hop since in my early teens i'm very well versed on the struggles that people of color have had from day one mm. in music and acting and society and you know when it comes to all the other issues and i know it's it's not something i can solve or anyone can solve with one quick statement uh, mm. it's always gonna be a very complex thing and what's good for some people is not good enough for others so suggest a solution 
Hmm. There is always going to be people who are going to go, no, that's not the right solution. So it is very difficult. It's a yeah. massive, you know, minefield to sign a talk about. You can either not talk about it and be accused of adding to the problem, or you hmm. can air your views. Then someone has a go at you because it's not the same views as them. Exactly. And, you know, someone might turn around to me now and saying, you know, you, you clearly don't like Elliot Page. And as far as actors go, I thought Elliot Page was great as Ellis Page in previous things. Hmm. Haven't seen anything he's done currently. Yeah. But I don't hate them as a, as a person or whatever. I don't know them. You know, exactly. It's like, again, I try not to waste my time on things I hate. Yeah. Um, when Scarlett Johansson had to pull out from playing a trans character because of the backlash, hmm. I was like, well, aren't actors allowed to be? I mean, I played a Scotsman in my last film. Hmm. I'm not Scottish and nobody I know. I mean, I know some Scottish people. They're not, they're not having a go at me over it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you're taking a job away from Scottish people. <laughs> That's a ter- See, terrible accent. I've mangled it. But <laughs> oh, by the time they see it, they'll be like, That's the worst accent I've ever heard. Um, <laughs> why can't I play a Scot? And, mm. and why can't a Scot play an Englishman like Ewan McGregor does? Why can't yeah. many Englishmen like Tom Holland, Henry Cavill, Hugh uh, Laurie, they play Americans. very well playing Americans, you know, yeah. so. Because it's let, acting. Let's relax the rules a bit. It's acting. You know? Yeah, it's I think. On. So to cap this entire point into one sort of like bowl, shall we say, is the fact where a lot of artists or productions tend to force political or the commentaries or whatever views they have, where sometimes it's not relevant, shall we say? Yeah, yeah. Because I feel like Um, it detracts from the original piece and then like the whole thing is lost. And then it's just like, sometimes it's just a throwaway line or a throwaway scene. It's like, hmm. well, that just came out of left field. And it's like, we're on Mars and you're talking about um, global warming on Earth. It's like, hang on, you're you're aliens. Why why would you talk about that? It's horses for courses at the end of the day. I think if if it's appropriate for the the medium that it's in or the Hmm. product that it's in, fine. If it's blatantly laughable, I mean, all you've got to do is go on YouTube and, and watch a, one of the adverts that pop up for banks or whatever. Mm. And you've got like, you can see the advertising agency are terrified of having a, an all white family in a house because they've got a mixed race mother and father. And then they've got mixed race kids. And then the visitor pops in as an old Chinese guy. And it's like, there's like, we must tick all the boxes here. Mm. And I'm not saying that doesn't happen and there's not that no, mixing no, going no, on. No, no, not at all. Like I say, my kids are a quarter Indian. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you could see the advertising agency going, well, we need one person of every color because if we if anything, the that Chinese makes, guy, That makes it worse. Like the fact that they does. are going through that. It's like, you think it's like, well, you're making it a big deal when it doesn't really need to be a big deal. No, exactly. Again, um, that line probably came from Roadhouse, Patrick Swayze. It's only a big deal if you make it a big deal. The one line he did say in Roadhouse was, it'll get worse before it gets better, uh, which is also something I live by. Um, yeah, especially in COVID um, era. <laughs> oh, blimey. Yeah. They, they write an advert and they go, right, we've got a family around the Christmas table having their Christmas dinner. And someone goes, it can't all be white people. <laughs> and they go, well, let's have a black family then. Oh, we can't all be black people. <laughs> we'll have... We'll have, we'll have uh, the racists having a go at us. It's like, well, let's have a mixed race uh, husband and wife and, and some mixed race children. Oh, but what about Chinese people? We've got to represent the Asian people. So, oh, yeah, yeah, I tell you what, we'll have granddad comes in and he's Chinese. And it's like, it dilutes the whole idea of the purpose of what they're trying to do. It's like, if you're going to start ticking boxes mm. and going, 
oh, I'm too scared to offend anyone. Yeah. Just yeah. do what you do, what feels natural and what feels right. And don't shoehorn it in, you know, mm. um, I am not going to put in, for example, uh, a gay couple in my in my film, because I don't think I haven't got the experience to write that accurately. Mm. And if I'm just putting him in just because. Yeah. Then it doesn't seem right. It just it, it just seems like it doesn't fit. And it just like I, I would never write. Uh, I, I don't think I'd ever write a film about, um, like you say, slavery, because mm. I don't have that experience and knowledge but then again someone would say good on you don't try and write what you're not well versed in mm. but then other people would say oh why don't you write something about slavery i think that you know it's, it's an issue that should be covered and it's like do you know what i mean both mm. both sides of the argument are valid but sometimes I, you can only do what you're comfortable doing and mm. go i'll kind of stay in my lane in a way i find like especially when i'm writing stuff that if i'm writing something that i'm not exactly experienced with or not very well knowledgeable about then i find i tend to fall into cliches yeah you do you do i mean look take for example you're into wrestling okay yeah if i was to write a film about wrestling without researching it or at least spending some time with you guys and all that thing Hmm. i would fall into cliches and you guys would watch it and people who are into wrestling and that would go oh my god he doesn't know much about wrestling does he and it's Hmm. true i don't now i had someone message me from the rap fraternity because i used to be a rapper and they said hey um do you want to get like a couple of rap songs into the soundtrack of your film and i'm like yeah sure of course i do that'd be a good idea and someone said why don't you write a film about the the cardiff rap scene growing up because you know there's lots of stories to be told there i'm like i'm sure there is but (laughs) unless you're going to give me the money to do it yeah i'm going to stick to the idea that I've been working for the last three years on, of course, there are there are stories to be told elsewhere, but I don't think I'm qualified enough to write that. Hmm. Hey, Scott, you shouldn't be doing a podcast about movies because you're not a Hollywood producer. It's like, what? But <laughs> it's know, like, it's like, I like movies, so I'm going to talk about films. I Exactly. Yeah. It's like I've and, never um, put on a play, but I like theatre, so I'll talk about theatre. <laughs> yeah, there's got to be a lot more. Again, like you say, the, the golden rule is don't be a dick. You know, it's exactly. like you use a bit of common sense. Like Kevin Smith says, do whatever you like, unless whatever you like involves hurting people, in which case don't do that. Yeah. You know, but but generally do what you feel comfortable doing, do what you enjoy doing, try and bring a bit of happiness, try and bring a bit of uh, fair play to everyone. Mm. Uh, and it's not always easy. Yeah. And anything you do do is going to be ultimately judged for better or for worse by everybody. And there are people who are going to love what you do and the people who are going to hate what you do. But it's all subjective. If you think about a director or a writer or an actor, not everything every one of those people have done has always been gold. There have been a lot of flops. There have been a lot of things that just don't work. It's like Tim Burton is a perfect example. Like, I love classic Tim Burton, Beetlejuice, the Batman movie. Me too. Edward. Edward Scissorhands. Literally, there's so many great films from that era. But when we look at things like his Alice in Wonderland, no. No. But I'm not saying because of that film, it's like, I hate Tim Burton. It's like, no, I just don't like that film. I felt like there was like, you're trying to shoehorn a political war into a film about nonsense. It's like, how does that work? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, it goes on to things like, I used to say this just to get people's backs up but it, it's, it's meant as a gag and i used to say i miss gary glitter and they were like what <laughs> i say and i say i miss gary glitter but i don't miss paul gad right now mm. paul gad is gary glitter's real name yes now as a character 
you know, Gary Glitter was a good entertainer and he made some catchy songs. Now, Paul Gadd was the the horrible little pedophile behind the Gary Glitter persona. Mm. You know, I know my, my kids, uh, Nan and all her friends, used to go to the Gary Glitter gang show whenever he was on tour, mm. you know. And what he did as Gary Glitter then was fine and it was entertaining and his songs were good. Gary Glitter has been erased from history now. Every mm-hmm. time there's a Christmas edition of Top of the Pops 2 or something, they never show his his hit, his Christmas mm. hit or whatever, or any of his other songs. Um, mm. And to a certain extent, yeah, I can understand that because, you know, why give uh, someone so unsavory some airtime? Mm. But the, the whole case is like, if somebody doesn't, I mean, that's a really extreme case. But like you said, yeah. if Tim Burton, you know, I, I've never liked the film Big Fish. Yeah. You know, people like it, but... I would prefer his, like you say, his Batman's and his Edward Scissorhands and Beetlejuice and that kind of kooky stuff. That still inspires me to this day. Same as Firefly, Buffy and Dollhouse and Angel from Joss Whedon and Avengers inspire me now, regardless of my personal feelings on how Joss Whedon performs when he's on set or whatever. Yeah. Um, And it it doesn't mean I'm condoning his behavior. It just means the creative output was good and doesn't cease to be good the second they get cancelled unfortunately yeah. i know you said you're not into wrestling or like you don't know about it but do you know the name chris benoit yes like obviously what happened he had the biggest neck and shoulders he was up there wasn't he yeah. oh yes him he did yeah. he pass away from was it the heart attack or he steroids w- or something he like was that? the one who um murdered his wife and son then Goodness hung himself me. yeah it was a oh, i didn't even know that bit but oh, yeah okay. mate, it, it, it was everywhere in like 2007 and it it changed the wrestling business for i remember him in his heyday you yeah know? but this I, is I, the, I, the I point i did watch a lot of wwf as it was back yeah. then you know what he did unforgivable horrific but yeah it's like when people have a go at you for watching his matches, like me as a wrestler, I watch a lot of his matches to study because I think he was one of the best wrestlers who ever right. lived. But okay. that doesn't mean I condone what he did, which I don't. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And everyone now likes or idolizes someone, but they don't know what else they're up to in their private life. Mm. People liked, for example... Uh, like I say, people did love Gary Glitter and people did love Jimmy Savile and mm. all these other things like this. Lost um, profits. Lost profits. But how many people idolized, you know, Ian Watkins? Yeah. And then when they realized, I mean, there was obviously a lot of denial to begin with. People like, no, no, he, from what I know about him, he'd never do stuff like that. And yeah, yeah. he's a completely de- deplorable human being. Yeah. Um, and the Lost Profits band. Uh, went through a lot of uh, soul searching going, well, do we split up? Do we do we get another singer in? They've tried again and again to say, look, we're, we're going to carry on because people like our music and our songs. Mm. We've distanced, distanced ourselves from Ian Watkins. You know, and even H from Steps, who shares the same name, oh. was getting grief <laughs> yeah. from people, thinking he was the guy from, oh, Ian Watkins, that's the guy from Steps. He's beautiful. Oh, my like, goodness. Mate. No, 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 come no, on, no. Come on. It's like people spitting at, at, um, at actors in the street because they play someone horrible. Oh, you know, uh, I, I've got a friend called Gary Hales, who he was in EastEnders and Grange Hill back in mm. the day. He runs the UK Garrison. Um, oh, okay. Fantastically, super nice guy. He said that because he played one of the first gay characters in EastEnders, but he isn't gay in real life, 
he got spat at in the street and called a disgusting queer and all this kind of stuff. And he's like, mate, I'm an actor, you know? Mm. And he said he got turned down of jobs. He wanted to do, he wanted to apply for, you know, TV presenting jobs. And he said, oh, well, you know, what, you know, what you did in EastEnders has, has put you in a bad light. Oh, and God. and do you know what it was? It was the first gay kiss on, on uh, primetime TV. And it wasn't even a snog. It was a kiss on the forehead from one guy to another. Oh, God. And, and he got the grief for that. Come on. <laughs> Again, it's back down to, I'm an actor. You yeah. Know? Um, I feel many you've actors just... are down the street. People go, oh, you hear stories of little old ladies going, terrible what you've done. Uh, Leslie Grantham, oh, leave your wife alone. Stop being, <laughs> being horrible to her. It's like, <laughs> we're actors. I, they're my friend in real life, for goodness sake. Yeah, he wasn't turned around to Johnny Depp after he made Sweeney Todd. It's like, you're a disgusting human being for cutting all those people's throats. It's like, oh, you uh, killed all those people? <laughs> I never killed anyone, love, and uh, I just picked them into pies. No, actually, my <laughs> missus did. <laughs> I do love his pies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel life. like you've um, got two points in your theory. One being the fact of shoehorning political commentaries into pieces that it's unnecessary, and also... Yeah differentiating the art from the artist yeah definitely definitely so i feel Again, like those like are so. definitely two things that could be rejected from the industry is the fact like you can enjoy people's work even though they are not the nicest of people but you just yeah. have to remember it's the work that they did not what they did as human beings and yeah. then also and to address the other point you don't yeah. have to put a soapbox message in everything you do. Yeah. You can do stuff for the sake of fun. Yeah. You know, um, there's nothing wrong with that. People need a break from the, you know, the, the backbiting and the agendas and the, uh, the, the inequalities and the problems, you know, the societal and uh, socioeconomic problems that face us all every single day. This is why I like sci-fi. I like an escape. When I go to the cinema, I've always yeah. said I would rather watch Star Wars a million times than watch JFK once. Not yeah. that there's anything wrong with JFK, hmm. but it, I, I would rather see something escapism to sort of give me a bit of fun yeah. than dwell over historical or, or more mundane things that you will get on the news anyway. Yeah, Do you know this I mean? is why one of my favorite stories of all time is Alice in Wonderland, because it's just so out there. It doesn't make sense, but it's just yeah. fun. Yeah. I was researching the Wizard of Oz recently for something. Oh yeah, and, um, I, mm. that is again. It's an Alice in Wonderland kind of story, mm. but the deeper you go into it, you start finding out about Frank Baum's uh, connections to capitalism and everything else, and the Yellow Brick Road um, being yellow because it's the whole um, the road to success is paved in gold, <laughs> and the Emer em Emerald City is green to do with money, and you're like. I didn't even need to know that. I mean, yeah. it's interesting to know as, as a, as you know, trivia, but mm. you don't always have to shoehorn that stuff into it. What's wrong with something being batshit crazy, like Alice in Wonderland and yeah. just having some fun with it, you know? Well, another example you've just reminded me of, as you've said that is Thomas, the tank engine. Okay. <laughs> like literally, I can't think of the author's name, Reverend. Or uh, w Audrey. W Audrey. Yes. Thank you. The deeper you look into that, there's a lot of um, undertones subtext, about isn't it? subtext yeah. and communism about the development of technology. What with the diesel trains and the steam trains? It's like he was trying yeah, to. I, I, I literally watched something about that the other day, and it said that, you know, Audrey didn't like diesel trains and mm. electric trains, and he didn't like the sort of um, 
he preferred the romanticism of the steam age and yeah. he made the, the diesel characters obnoxious because of that yeah you know it's like oh blimey but you could watch it because it's a show it's narrated about by trains with faces yeah, yeah. Like... trains with faces and it was narrated by ringo star and when it wasn't narrated by ringo star the guy who took over i forget his name off the top of my head mm. um but he passed away in the last couple of years and his his voice is almost indistinguishable from Ringo Starr, so everyone <laughs> thinks it was Ringo Starr that's done all of them, but it wasn't. Yeah, his name was Michael something. Why is it that you can have fun as a kid, you know, with nonsense rhymes and books, and you know, Doctor Seuss and, yeah. and all sorts of craziness like that? But when when you get to a certain age, everything has to be serious, deep, and everything meaningful. has to be yeah. You you've got to have a soapbox connected to it or an issue connected to it. It's like I want to I want to sort of spend my remaining years having a bit of fun yeah. like taking away from all the the grief and the worry and the paranoia and the hassle that we all get day by day you know yeah and i'll finish off this point as well just by saying people who get very angry about pro wrestling now it's like there's this whole argument now on twitter terry where it's mm. like if you like wwe you hate AEW, or if you like it vice versa you have to hate the other yeah. thing but here's the thing it's a bunch of adults in skimpy outfits playing make-believe in a fake fight. We've had this for many years in the Star Wars community, <laughs> um, especially in the Star Wars costuming community. Uh, people just go back to saying, we're playing make-believe plastic spacemen. <laughs> it does, again, it's only a big deal if you make it a big deal. Let's just have some fun with it. Goodness yeah. sake. Yeah. So I think like you've hit uh, two points in one go. So shoehorning your agendas into things for the sake of it and also yeah. not differentiating the art from the artist needs to get rejected from this industry and just life in general in my opinion mm. so mm. down the trap door bye bye this not is probably the deepest podcast i've ever had <laughs> I've, I've actually I've, I've dug quite deep into some of my uh, beliefs and and stuff and it's terrifying actually uh, you're hearing I'm hearing myself talk and going, oh, people are going to give me stick for this. Um, but no, I mean, everyone has thoughts and worries and concerns. Yeah. Um, That's just normal. It's, it's not always going to uh, rub everyone up the right way. Of course not. It's it is good therapy. It's good yeah. therapy. No, it is. That's why I enjoy doing it, to be honest, because I get mm. to get um, my personal thoughts out and just like have a bit of fun, like you said yeah. in the last point. Yeah. And that's the way it should be. And Terry, it's been lovely having you on the show so far, but for the last round of auditions, do you have one more thing? I'm going to hold up one finger for the camera and not two, because okay. I'm just like, that's two <laughs> points, not one. Although we did yeah. kind of get two points in one last time. So yeah. is there one more thing that is auditioning for us today that you would like to boot out of our room? Uh, that's what I was sort of umming and ahhing about because uh, I'm I'm quite passionate about this next topic and I don't even know if it, it, it might not fit into your 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 podcast. Basically, talking about um, the concept of what uh, most people uh, know not much about called universal basic income. Mm. Um, have you you've heard of this? Yes, yeah? there's an episode. I think it's episode nine i want to say where i have matthew bull on it and he goes ah. into a bit of a conversation with it about okay. it so listeners well, if you are out there and you want to go back and listen to that episode i highly recommend it but yeah so please so carry again, on sorry. because it's been featured on a previous podcast I, i'm not going to sort of rehash everything and go into it in super detail mm -hmm. um but the, what i think as a creative person myself um i 
um, found out about universal basic income quite a while ago. And I thought as a creative person, this would help me. Mm. Um, not, it would also help every single person on the planet. Yeah. But for a creative person, there's a cliche, the starving artist or the starving yeah. musician, right? Yeah. Now, if those artists and musicians weren't starving, I mean, some people could quite, you know, facetiously say, oh, well, they wouldn't have created or become such a success if they weren't starving. It's like, no, but why should someone have to starve? Mm. Why should someone have to be panicking about paying the bills and the rent mm. when you could be more free to uh, create and to spend time thinking about things like that? Um, now, a universal basic income is not a handout. It's not a benefit. Everyone gets it, rich or poor. Mm. And all it does, it raises the the floor of um, money to live on off the zero mark. Yeah. So it basically pushes you up a bit. So if if you're a multimillionaire and you're getting an extra £1,000 a month, you're not going to notice that. That's going to get you a bottle of champagne, possibly, yeah. or whatever, or a pair of socks, depending on how expensive your socks are. <laughs> but if you're living on Cardboard City, that £1,000 a month will get you off the streets. Yes. All right. Um, so it scales down. The lower you go down to people who have got absolutely nothing, the more help it does. It, it, it won't eradicate homelessness because some people will, ch will choose to walk away from that. There are some people who stay off the grid. Some people, again, the people are like, oh, they're just going to squander it on booze and fags. This is one of the usual criticisms. Clichés of, you know, of being on, um, yeah, and jobs. Oh, well, you're, if allowance. you're getting extra money, they're just going to buy drugs and booze with it. But then I saw uh, a TED talk. Uh, where a guy called Scott Santons, who's a big proponent of UBI, he said, right, uh, can you all put your hands up in the air if you believe that people will just squander it on gambling and booze and cigarettes and drugs, right? And a load of hands went up. Mm. He said, okay, keep your hand up if you're one of those people who would squander it. And all the hands went down. Mm. He's like, oh, so it won't be you, but it'll be the other people. Yeah. The, someone that's else, the people we don't know, it'll be them. Yeah. And people have found that if you give a poor person extra money, they will use it on things that they need. They will use it on, you know, paying the rent bills and buying grub. Yeah. And yet there's always exceptions to the rule. Like look at the, you know, the whole thing about benefit scroungers and stuff, people who don't want to work. There's always going to be that. There's always yeah. going to be people who slip through the thing and go, Hey, do you know what? I'm not going to do it. Yeah. And if someone gave me a thousand pounds extra a month, would I stop working? No, no, definitely not. Because I'd be bored. With people with jobs, I mean, thousand pounds a month uh, will will cover your cover my rent and bills, yeah, and a bit of food. But after that, you've got nothing. Yeah. So I would I would rather keep working and have that money as extra, you know. Yeah. And if you if you're earning a decent living, say you're on fifty grand a year or something, mm. and you're getting this extra grand a year, sort of tax free coming in, you could put that money to. I don't know, to a savings account, or you could yeah. put that into the, getting the kids through college, or, or maybe oh, that's going to be my holiday for a year, yeah. uh, every year. And if you totally disagree with that thing, but it comes in, then you could either opt out or why not give it to someone else who wants it, you know? Yeah. Um, the closest I've had to experiencing the freedom of a universal basic income was at the start of the pandemic. Mm. I claimed the self-employed income support uh, from the government, which are now being taxed on, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Um, but with these extra loans that came in, uh, well, no, so they're grants, but they're taxable. Um, these came in on top of what I was earning anyway. 
And I was like, wow, suddenly I've got a bit of extra disposable income. I didn't yeah. stop working and I didn't go out and buy loads of cans of lager. It was like, <laughs> wow, I can, I can start, I can keep making stuff and I can, uh, I, I, I bought this microphone, I bought a webcam, I bought some studio equipment, I bought tools for making my costumes and props and those kind of stuff. So and the money went freedom. towards things that would help you in the profession that you're in. And also, um, for people who aren't creative, if you're getting this extra money in, you're going to be like, oh, right, well, now I can, I'll just go down the shop. And, and I was doing the same. I was like, oh, well, I'm going to go and get a cooked breakfast today uh, hmm. down the local cafe. All that money goes straight back into the economy. You know, exactly. A lot of it goes on to Amazon and et cetera, et cetera. And this is why we should make Amazon pay their taxes because they, they get, I think they get, I agree. Uh, last year they uh, were earning uh, like 11 billion a day or something like that uh, 11 billion a year oh you know how dwayne's gonna be terry <laughs> I, I i know mate uh, you know i've got a tax i've got a tax bill here for five grand Oof. and you know i'm getting all these threats from oh, you've got to pay your tax and i was like why aren't you threatening amazon with this exactly you know, because of legal loophole anyway money talks but that kind of thing it's like although it's expensive to shell out a thousand pounds for everyone in the country a month a lot of that money can be offset because it's going straight back into the economy. Yeah. It's just circulating. And yeah. the local businesses, the people, you know, if I wanted to, wanted to start my own cafe or coffee shop or something, mm. knowing that I'm not going to be completely destitute if the money runs out mm. means I've got the chance to try it, yeah. you know? And um, th there's other things such as um, they say that a lot of reasons why uh, some women will stay in abusive relationships uh, is because they can't afford to to survive elsewhere. But if they know that their their basic living costs are being covered, that gives them the freedom to get out of there. The same as it gives people in oppressive jobs with horrible bosses mm. the freedom to say, do you know what? I'm not going to be treated like this anymore. I want to retrain. I'm going to quit and find something better. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I can't see anything bad with universal basic income. There's going to be people who squander it, et cetera. But those are the people who's like, oh, do you know what? I can live on that. Fine. Cool. But that just that just makes you know more room for people like me who want to create more and do more. Mm. And you know, I want to teach, I'd like to be able to teach art and writing and filmmaking to people. My local library is always asking me to come in and give a talk about illustration and book writing. And I was like, what, uh, how much, you know, is there any money in it? Oh no, it's free. I'm like, well, I can't take the time off. I can't yeah. take three or four hours to prepare and then go down there for two hours to do that because i need to keep earning money yeah, but exactly. if i had a basic income i can like yeah i can i can spare up an hour so teach some kids how to draw stuff and how to write stories but when it you take away from your possibilities work, then it's kind of difficult yeah yeah if, if you're spending all your time trying to pay the rent and bills by working then you you can't you know um but a little bit of um money that takes you off the 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 zero mark of money so it raises the floor of poverty up to like you know mm. just but just enough to get you off the streets or whatever yeah well just i think it will just do so much good and it's not a new idea so a lot of people think oh this is just some sort of crazy socialist idea <laughs> that's come around in the last five years and it was like no it was, mm. i think it was first uh suggested by thomas Paine, who founded the united states back in the <laughs> you know whatever 1600s or something yeah even maybe even before that Martin Luther King talked about it. Gandhi talked about it. So many people have just said, this is the way forward because the whole nature of labor is changing. Yeah. You know, people like yourself 
are deciding that instead of working in a factory for 12 hour shifts, six days a week, hmm. I can, uh, I could do a podcast. I can do wrestling. I can do this. And with me, it's, I, I can, I can write books. I can do illustrations. I can film. I can make things. Yeah. Some of the biggest paid earners now are like YouTubers and TikTokers and all this yeah. kind of thing. And it's not working in a factory hmm. for 50 years after you leave school and then you die. Yeah, the whole thing of labor is changing, and and also automation is another reason for bringing in universal basic income. Because if people don't realize how, oh, I think oh, I'd be a long time before robots take our jobs. Really? Because have you seen a cash point? Mm. I've cash seen point what came your in, cards? in the seventies. Yeah, that's a banker doing a job that mm-hmm. a person could have done before. Then you've got self-service tills in the checkout. Yeah, and you've got the the bins, the bin machines that will. Oh, the guy drags the bin to the the claws and then the, the claws tip the bin into the back of the bin wagon mm-hmm. but that was done by guys when i was a kid you know yeah. they pick up the thing carry the bin throw it in and drop it off and it's getting more and more uh my mate in the states constantly is on instagram filming the bins being taken out he's three wheelie bins outside his house and he films that the the guy never gets out of the truck he drives <laughs> past and a robotic claw grabs the wheelie bin lifts it up throws it into the back of the truck flings it back, drops it back on the phone, drives off. There's no people walking around behind the bin lorry. It's completely automated. The aliens in Toy Story were lied to when the claw was made out to be God, where it just worked as a bin man. Mm. The bins. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not going backwards. All this automation is not going to be replaced. They're not going to have less self-service tills in Tesco in 10 years' time. There's going to be more. There's going to be... There there are now... um, they're trying to push uh, restaurants that have robotic arms that will serve uh, mixed drinks and cocktails for you. And there's uh, Amazon stores that are beginning to open up where there's no one in behind the till. You just walk straight mm. in, you put the things in your basket and walk out and it's instantly debited your account by using sensors. Um, and Amazon have bought 250 self-driving 18-wheeler trucks that will drive across the States with nobody at the wheel. Jesus. <laughs> it's like... This is just going to, and it is taking jobs or it, it's not taking jobs from people, but it's actually reducing the need for people. Yeah. So, so if anything, the universal based income comes back into it because say, no, if like people are saying like, there's going to be no jobs for us. Well, then the universal based income might be a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because that way it comes in and you can either retrain into a job that doesn't involve you driving across the country and trying to stay awake or, or working at a checkout. You can train into doing more things you want to do. You can open yeah. up the cake shop you want to do. You can yeah. open up the, uh, I don't know, the play center or uh, your your dog walking business or anything mm. like that because yeah. you know you're not going to be completely destitute when mm. other jobs are completely changing. The whole landscape of labor is changing. Yeah. And um, for creative people like me and you, and when we do want to do films and podcasts and and books and comics and that kind of thing, knowing the peace of mind that you get that your your basic uh bills i mean even if even if my rent was covered but not my bills or food yeah you know, I'm, I'm not saying i want it all on a plate no, so, but if God i had a, no. enough help just to make sure that i wouldn't lose my house if i have a bad week yeah you, you could know, focus on your profession to i can focus on my thing and be the income for it. those things absolutely absolutely again i completely agree with this so in my the thing is we usually say stuff we want to reject but I'm recalling universal based income because okay. yeah. it's because I, mean, I if, think that's if you the way want to spin it. <laughs> if you want to spin it, we can reject the <laughs> um, the notion 
that they'll spend it on booze. <laughs> that, 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 yeah, you're going to squander it on booze. Yeah, and it's not communism. It's not socialism, and it's not uh, it's not unaffordable. These are the four things that people always talk about. Oh, we yeah. can't afford it. People are going to squander it. It's socialism, and uh, it's never going to work or whatever. But it's like, what what have we got to lose? Why don't we just try it? I mean, exactly. and they are looking into trials. The, the Welsh Assembly yeah. is looking into trials at the moment, and and I really hope I really hope they do. It's going forward. It's slowly uh, gathering. I mean, I had a 10 minute chat with someone who was completely against it. And when I explained all these points to them, they went, oh, blimey. And you could see the bubble burst. They went, yeah, now I know more about it. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, they just threw away their misconceptions about it being some some kind of benefit or some handout. Mm. To, but just take the time to listen. That's all it is. Old age pension is a form of universal basic income. Yeah, and that's yeah. been that's been in existence in this country for you know hundred hundred odd years, or whatever. Uh -huh. uh, the old age pension—it's money that you get to a certain age, you get money. What's the yeah. money for? To at least you know help you with your living costs, you know, yeah. food or whatever. That's the universal basic income, and the more people get it, the the uh, I think we can only benefit in the creative industries, especially. We won't mm. have a starving artist, a starving musician, but they, these musicians will be able to buy more equipment and get into studios and, and do more yeah. stuff. If it did come into effect, I wouldn't quit like my job uh, working like in the shop or yeah. I might, I might reduce the hours so that I could focus more on, on what you want to do. Exactly. What you have to do. Yeah, it's but... like how, how, how many times when you, when the lottery first came in, people was like, Oh, I want a million quid. Are you going to quit your job? No, I'm going to keep working. Why are you going to keep working? Because hmm. I can do it for the fun of it then. And I yeah. see my friends. There's and no I can... stress. Exactly. But you can also jack in the job if you don't like it and go and do a job that you want to do. Because exactly. you're not panicking about, I've got to earn the money, you know? So <laughs> again, if we want to reject something, it's a case of... No, honestly, let's I reject think... the old way of thinking and, yeah. and, and, and consider this, this, I say new, but it's not a new idea, <laughs> but, you know, this, this concept. There we are. Well, I'm recalling universal-based income, but I'm rejecting mm. the old concept that it's like... Basically, the people who are open-minded. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The conservative Absolutely. way of living. Let's get that in the bin, shall we? Yeah, yeah. That brings us to the end of the very first episode of Series 2. Terry, thank you so much for coming on the episode. It's been a pleasure chatting to you, bud. And oh, it's been all I've, the fun. Mate, I've learned so much today. It's like, I didn't know you were a rapper. I Actually, I only found out you were an illustrator when I started this podcast. <laughs> I was just like, the more you know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But um, to send us off, I would you mind telling the lovely people who are listening where they can find you on social media? Like, uh, do you have Facebook, Twitter? And talk to us a little bit about your new project, Bloody Students, a bit more. Okay. Um, well, while I get up my, my social media links, uh, I'll <laughs> tell you a little bit about Bloody Students. Um, it's my second feature film. And like a lot of things we talked about earlier, uh, it's, it's purely from a, a place of fun. Mm -hmm. It's going to be as close to a Cornetto trilogy film as I can make it. Um, <laughs> I think the word is loving homage rather than complete steel. There um, we go. That's the problem is there's nothing majorly original in, in this world, um, but it is, it, it harkens back to the fun days of VHS movies like Big Trouble in Little China, yeah. uh, Gremlins, Scooby-Doo, Doctor mm. Who, all that kind of stuff. So basically the film is going to be a fun movie about a bunch of uh, students of varying ages 
who get locked in a museum at night and discover that the uh, traveling uh, exhibition of ancient Egyptian mummies are being revived back from the dead um, and they're out for blood, literally. Um, so there's a lot of fun going on there. There's romantic comedy elements. There's some touching stuff in there, some serious stuff in there. But again, I'm not preaching to anyone. I'm just... <laughs> yeah, I'm forcing to... agendas in there. Like... <laughs> no, exactly. Um, I, I just want to make... Uh, something entertaining and fun and you know and take the mick out of itself quite mm. a bit uh, and I think a lot of people will everyone loves a cult film whether it's successful or not so even if it doesn't make a million dollars or whatever mm. it's like I've already got an American distributor you know interested in uh, marketing it once it's finished so this year and most of next year I'm trying to raise money for it so if you're interested in finding out about it and we're casting we're accepting submissions from actors who might want to be in it. You can find all the details at the website, which is a blog called bloodystudents.co.uk. It's just www.bloodystudents.co.uk. Now, I'm on Twitter uh, as much as I possibly can. I don't, like I say, I don't love Twitter, yeah. but my Twitter yeah. handle is Terence R. Cooper. And that's, I know people do tell, tend to spend my name, spell my name wrong with too many R's and an A, but there's no A's in Terence. It's T E R E N C E capital R Cooper, Terence R Cooper. Um, and on Facebook, um, it's facebook.com forward slash Terry Cooper art, all one word. And that's my illustration page, etc. And you can contact me there. But bloody students has a Facebook page. Offworld has a Facebook yes. page. Um, I'm on, I'm on Instagram a lot. I love Instagram. I'm going to dig that up just in case I get that wrong. Uh, where uh, while you have a look for that, that's something I recommend to you lovely listeners out there. You can also check out the previous episodes with Chris Bevan, who was mm. um, producer, I believe. Or... He was, uh, he's, he's the co-producer and first assistant director on Offworld. Thank so, you. Yeah, Could not remember. Chris, he, he, uh, he got me, you know, I met Chris when he cast me for uh, one of his films. So uh, he's <laughs> just an absolute gem of a, of a dude. Yeah, so go listen to that episode. And also you can listen to episode 11, which features actor from Offworld, Chris Josty as well. So yeah, yeah, you can absolutely. hear more about Offworld in both of those episodes there, guys. Yeah, my Instagram is, uh, is this right? Terry Richard Cooper, all one word, Terry Richard Cooper. Um, well, that's I, your uh, name, so I'd assume that'd be right. Yeah, recently <laughs> I've started using my middle name. I don't know why. Before that, I think it was Cardiff Jack Sparrow, but I wanted to get away from that. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all the usual things, and so is so is the films Offworld and uh, Bloody Students. And, uh, you know, this year uh, I do apologise to anyone listening who knows me who will be like, oh, he's talking about his film again. But <laughs> again, this is when you're passionate about something, you've got to keep plugging it. And there is an unwritten rule, which a friend of mine once told me, is that you've got to tell a lot of people three times before they listen. Exactly. Um, and it, it's surprisingly true. You, you can you can talk about something and you get no one listening to you. You get no response. And then you say it again and you get maybe a small response. And you say it a third time and people begin to go, oh, right, now it's sinking in. Mm. So there is a certain amount. This is why adverts are repeated. Otherwise, there'd be one <laughs> advert and that's it. Everyone buys a new and improved washing powder, don't they? Because they saw the one advert. Exactly. But it's got to be repeated. And uh, that's why repeats are on TV. Um, and, and things become beloved the more you the more you uh, see and hear about them. Exactly. So, uh, and that's the focus of this podcast is to give light on to people who are in this industry. Like you said, starving artists, people who are passionate about filmmaking, making theatre, 
musicals, um, yeah. pro wrestling, any form of entertainment. That's what this is for. It's just for people to have a rant, have a bit of fun, and push their ideas out there. So I encourage yeah, and, that. You know, and and obviously to to uh, shine a light briefly on what you're doing. Um, podcasts uh, are a relatively newish thing. They've been going yeah. for a couple of years, but you know, growing in popularity. And podcasts like your podcast, they are generally for people who are interested in other people. And like you say, it shines a light on things that people wouldn't normally know about. And it adds an extra dimension to the host hmm. uh, of what they want to do and the guests. And it tells people, more people, like-minded like people doing hmm. what you want to do. And podcasts do that really well. Um, yeah. When people start getting into a podcast and look forward to the next episode and maybe check out a previous episode, that all helps broaden the mind, basically. And, you know, it's it's a, in an age where people are moving away from just tuning into the nine o'clock news. They're looking for their entertainment and their information in other places. And a podcast is a great place that's always on hand. It's always easy to get hold of. And it's, you know, in, in most cases, it's a more laid back non-preachy kind of um <laughs> medium to to entertain people and to tell them stuff to pass over information so that's a really cool thing and i feel like you've just done my advertising part of this podcast for me terry so again thank you for that <laughs> well you know that, that you know it, it you're, you're doing it right and you're doing the right things and i think that's uh that's you know amazingly commendable because you don't have to do it so no I'd love to do a podcast on a regular basis, um, but I, I literally at the moment, I don't have the time, but maybe yeah. one day I will. You know? Exactly. I'm just forcing myself to do it because I know I enjoy it, but, and like, I don't make any money from this, but if I do in the future, brilliant. If not, it's something I'm happy to push. Yeah. And, and you know, you're, you're building up the backlog of episodes as well. So, mm. you know, uh, uh, at the point where it starts to generate income for you, you're going to have this nice library of previous episodes, which will add value to, to whoever wants to sort of subscribe or, you know, tune into your, your podcast. Exactly. And transitioning lovely onto that, buddy, I can finish off this podcast by telling all you lovely listeners, by telling you the Reject or Recall podcast is available to listen to on Podbean, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And fun fact for you, I didn't even know it was on Google Podcasts until Chris came on the show and told me wow. on episode 10. So I was just like, oh, okay, even better. Okay. And we are also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. If you just type in reject or recall, it will come up there. And if you have a pet peeve in any form of industry or just a pet peeve in life or something you think needs more attention, send an email to reject or recall at gmail.com. And then we can discuss it on a future episode with um, different guests, with different um, interpretations. So let's um, have a bright future is what I say. So again, Terry, thank you so much again for coming on today. It's been lovely chatting Cheers, to you. And yeah. I just can't believe it's been nearly five years since we did Murder by the Sea. It is, yeah. Oh, my goodness. I yeah. know. So just a little, uh, see, we have actually met in person as well as like yeah. uh, Comic Cons and stuff. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Mental, yeah. that is. Have a lovely day, guys. I hope you take care and continue doing what you enjoy doing. Any last words from you, Terry? If you've come this far with the podcast and you're still here and I haven't put you off, <laughs> thank you for staying this long. And, uh, you know, whatever you're doing out there, you know, follow the words of uh, Kevin Smith, whether you like him or not. Uh, it's mm. like 
in, in the face of our ultimate, you know, shuffling off this mortal coil, he put it a different way. But in, in the face of our, you know, ultimate um, life coming to an end, there is no sense in not running crazily towards the thing you love and the thing you want to do in life. Mm. Uh, just, just go for it and just don't hurt anyone. Spread a little happiness if you can. Um, but g- generally have some fun and see what you can get made. Yeah, see what you can achieve no matter what it is. Take a chance on doing what you love, innit? Absolutely. There we are then, guys. Take care of yourselves, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.